0: God our Father, from our Lord Jesus, dear friend. Last week, in the opening verse of Romans chapter 12, we heard that call to worship our King. The Apostle Paul said it like this, In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And it's a good reminder that worship is not just something that we do once in a while when we gather here at church. It's something that encompasses our entire lives as God's people. It's something that demands the total surrender of ourselves to God. It's something that we offer willingly, as Paul says, in view of God's mercy. Well, today, on this last Sunday of the church year, we focus on the object of our worship. The one who brought God's merciful plan of salvation to completion for us. Christ our King. The King who came once as a sacrifice for our sin. The King who continues to shepherd His people day after day during our lives in this world. And the king who one day will place all enemies under his feet. This time between his first coming and his second coming is a time for us to worship Christ the king. Because he is risen and now reigns forever and ever. That's what the apostle Paul proclaims so beautifully in the verses that we're going to be looking at today from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So please listen. He writes, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruit, Then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, It is clear that this does not include God Himself, who put everything under Christ. When He has done this, then the Son Himself will be made subject to Him, who put everything under Him, so that God may be all in all. This is the word of our Lord. So this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, is sometimes called that great resurrection chapter. It is the clearest and longest discussion of our Lord's resurrection that you'll find anywhere in the Bible. The Apostle Paul devotes all 58 verses of this chapter to that one single subject, the resurrection. That's because there were many in the city of Corinth who were troubled by that teaching. Not just the teaching about Jesus' resurrection, but about resurrection in general. They struggled with this idea that anyone who was dead and buried could now come back to life again. And so the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write this chapter in which he so clearly affirms the truth of the resurrection. But also in this chapter, Paul shows us just what Jesus' resurrection means for you and me personally. Since Christ is risen, now reign, well then we can be sure of our own resurrection and our glorious future with him. That's what fuels our whole life of worship. Now the verses that come right before those that we're looking at today set the context for everything that we just heard. And you might call those verses that come before the awful alternative to Easter. Back in verse 12, the Apostle restates what he had heard from some of the people in Corinth. He said, some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead. And so Paul basically says, let's just stop and consider that for a moment. Let's think about what the consequences of that would be. If there is no resurrection from the dead, well then Christ has not been raised either that means that our preaching is useless. In fact, we'd be liars. What more, Paul says, it also means that our faith isn't worth anything either. It would do us no good to believe in a dead and still buried Jesus. Because then those deadly, damning sins that you and I commit would still be clinging to us. But more, our loved ones who have already died, they would right now be suffering the consequences of their sin in hell. Those are the awful alternatives to Easter. If Christ has not been raised, then we need to just quit pretending. We need to give up this notion that we have some message of hope and joy to share, a message that quiets the conscience and comforts the heart and inspires our worship. Christ has not been raised, then we'd have to admit that what Paul said in verse 19 of this chapter is true. We are to be pitied more than all men. We would simply be deceiving ourselves and others. That's pathetic. But, that one word is one of the biggest words in all of Scripture. But, Easter did happen. Paul announces, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. It's a simple but incredibly powerful statement. And we may wrestle with it. Our minds may immediately raise objections. It doesn't make sense. We've never seen anybody raised from the dead. But Paul takes all of those objections and brushes them aside with this simple, indisputable truth that Jesus, who is truly dead and buried, is at this very moment very much alive. And Paul doesn't say, just take my word for it. He doesn't say, you'll just have to trust me on this one. No, back at the start of this chapter, he lists all kinds of resurrection appearances, times when believers saw the risen Lord Jesus with their own eyes. He ticks them off one after another, beginning with Jesus' appearance to Peter. Then Jesus appeared to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters. Then he appeared to James. Then to all of the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to Paul himself. So many of these people were still alive at the time that Paul was writing this letter. Those skeptics in Corinth could go and question them for themselves if they wanted to. The heart and core of the message that we preach and believe is the simple, unmistakable truth that Christ has risen. As his people, that changes everything for us. Paul continues and shows us why. He says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. You see the picture that Paul uses here. He says that Jesus is the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. That term, the first fruits, referred to the first stalks of grain that an Israelite farmer would harvest. He would take those things and then present them to the Lord as an offering. He did that gladly because he understood how generous God is. He did it with great confidence because he knew that so much more was going to be following in his field. And see, that's the confidence that we have because Christ is risen. We know that he is just the first of many who are going to follow after him. Jesus himself says, because I live, you also will live. Jesus' resurrection assures us of our own. Paul underscores that important truth by making a striking comparison between Jesus and Adam. When Paul says that death came through man, Talking about Adam way back at the beginning. When Adam disobeyed God's word in the Garden of Eden, his sin brought death into this world, and not just for himself and Eve, for all who followed. He passed that sinful nature on to every one of his children and those who came after, so that as Paul says, in Adam, all die. We're all born with this inherited sin. From the very first moment of our lives, We live under that sentence of death. But Paul says another man came, the Lord Jesus, a man who came and undid what the first man had done. Through Jesus comes the resurrection of the dead. By his resurrection, he has destroyed the power that death holds over all people. In John 5, Jesus says it like this A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice, come out. Jesus' resurrection assures us of our own. Now before we kind of move on with that, I just want you to notice how in this section Paul speaks so clearly about Adam's sin and the result of it for all people. He doesn't try to downplay the seriousness of sin in any way. He doesn't try and soften the consequences of sin in any way. You you think about those words, sin and death and hell. Those are words that many people despise. Words that many people believe just shouldn't be repeated in polite company. They're too judgmental. Too offensive. Sure, people slip up from time to time. Everybody gets off track now and then. That doesn't mean we should turn around and call them sinners or talk about death and hell as some kind of consequence for their action. But Paul has no problem speaking very clearly about sin and the curse that it brings. Because he knows that Jesus came and endured that curse for us. He knows that Jesus came and reversed that curse for all of us. Ultimately, that's what the Gospel is all about. And so you notice how Paul's language changes when he's talking about Jesus. Death is replaced with the resurrection of the dead. As in Adam, all die is replaced with in Christ, all will be made alive. We began dying from the very first breath that we took in this world, have had our lives restored now because Jesus rose from the dead. On the cross, He suffered the full penalty for all sin, yours and mine included. He satisfied God's justice completely in His life and death. When He rose again on the third day, He rolled the stones away from our grave and opened the kingdom of heaven to all believers. Since Christ our King, is risen. We have a whole new perspective on life and a daily reason to worship Him. First of all, we know that death is not going to be the end. We accept that someday a loved one or somebody else is going to lay our lifeless body in the tomb. But not our soul. At the moment of our death, Our souls immediately go to be with the Lord Jesus. And not long after, our bodies will follow too. Because again, Christ is the first fruit. Remember how Paul said it. In Christ, all will be made alive, but each in turn. Christ the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. Christ is already risen and reigning, as Paul has said. But when he returns, us who belong to him by faith, will be raised to life as well. In fact, the very first thing he's going to do on that day is to awaken all who fell asleep trusting in him. All people will be raised on that day. That's true. Believers and unbelievers alike. Paul doesn't mention those unbelievers who will rise to be condemned because his purpose in this section comfort us, belong to him. When he raises us, Paul says, Then the end will come. The end of this world in which we live. The end of life in this world as we know it. Christ Himself will put an end to all dominion, authority, and power. The spiritual forces of darkness led by Satan will be shut out from God in the presence of His people forever and ever. Then Christ our King will hand over the kingdom to the Father that kingdom that includes you and me and all believers, those who were alive when Jesus returned and those that he called to life when he came back. And then, God will be all in all, Paul says. That's the glorious future that we and all of God's people have to look forward to. This perfect and eternal freedom from sin, death, and the devil. All because Christ our King has risen. now reigns. As we come to the end of this church year and anticipate the start of another, that's the picture that we want to have front and center in our hearts and minds. It's that picture of victory that inspires us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, as our spiritual act of worship every single day. It's that picture that gives us the confidence to keep after the work that our Lord Jesus has given us to do in this world even when it gets difficult. It's that picture of victory that keeps us struggling against the sins that still plague us this life. It's that picture of victory that allows us to keep on smiling even if only on the inside when we lay a loved one in the grave or when we face that grave ourselves. Christ our King is risen Now reigns. He won. Because we are joined with Him by faith. So have we. So during this time in between, we can live confidently as God's people, looking forward to that day of His return. What a day it will be. When every eye will see the risen, victorious King Jesus. And every knee will bow before Him. Our celebration, our joy, our worship has already begun. It will never end. Because Christ our King is risen, now reigns forever. Amen. And may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.